what is up fellas welcome to the second episode of the stepping on the line podcast i'm your host pete d'alessandro this week i was lucky enough to talk with another old buddy who plays ball at texas a&m corpus christi not only is the kid one of the best all-around catchers to ever do it but he can also tell quite the story and give a great perspective on playing D1 baseball while he's at it. All right, I'm here with Justin Taylor from Corpus Christi A&M, uh, catcher for them. What is up, Justin? What's up, Pete? How's it going? It's been a while, man. It's been oh, a long yeah. while. Hey, I'm, I'm glad to have you on, man. I'm really looking forward to, to chatting with you here. Yes, sir. Uh, how, how you been, man? How's, how's ball been going this year? I've been really good. You know, everything with COVID and kind of getting together – bunch of rules to work around but I mean it's as good as it's as good as it could have been you know I mean we're still getting to play ball and you know I can't complain about that right and I that's all that's all you can really ask for just being able to go out there play ball you know fuck around it is what it is man right it's been it's been a little different but I mean it's uh that's what you got to make sacrifices to play this game sometimes so like I mean it's just it is what it is yeah I agree all right, let's get cracking. Um, what are your earliest memories from playing baseball when you were a kid? I mean, I think you can speak for yourself. We used to, uh, if y'all didn't know, Peter D'Alessandro was a uh, Dripping Springs varsity third baseman, and I've been playing with that dude since about 6U T-ball. What do we go back to? Man, something like that, like Oak Hill, I, Oak Hill back in the day. I know, Oak Hill back in Austin, Texas, you know, we – we go back. So, I mean, those are some of my earliest memories of us playing, playing at high level as, as little, little munchkins, you know, like, right. I feel like, I feel like we, we were traveling, traveling around Texas back when we were six to eight years old, still playing coach pitch ball, you know, like those well, are some of the earliest memories I, I had. I just remember that, that one team we were eight in coach pitch, the, uh, the A team all-star, the, the hurricanes we had, mm -hmm. It was you, me, Brett Beatty, who was a first-round pick for the New York Mets. He's currently somewhere in the farm system. Um, he he has a really good shot at at being a good player in the majors one day. I really think he does, dude. I think yeah. that dude. Give him one more season, and you might see him on a on a sixty man. It was. I mean, I just remember even the first time I saw him play. We were eight years old. Um, all the coaches for the teams, and my dad was was our coach. They had to go out and scout players to to see who they wanted to pick for the All Star team. So we we go out, and we're going to watch Brett Beatty. My dad's like, "This kid's insane." And I'm like, "All right, but eight eight year old me is like, how good could this kid possibly fucking be?" And so we go out. These fields are about 150 feet. And first game I watched, this kid hit four bombs over over the field. Out, out of the field over the parking lot into this creek that was across the street like this kid was hitting probably 250 foot bombs at eight years old I mean the kid that was, was that was Brett Beatty's field yeah yeah <laughs> I mean I I bet if when he was eight years old they could have put him up in 10 or 11 you and the kid would have been just as good I mean he was one of the most insane talents definitely the best player I've ever personally played with in my life yeah, no doubt. I think so too. Like even even after we kind of split high schools and went different ways, he went to Lake Travis. Half of us went to dripping, like just hitting in the cage four years later with him. Like you can tell, but just by look like that's an MLB swing, you know. That dude has MLB tools. It's like it's not easy, it's not hard to see once uh once you're that up close and person personable with, with someone like that. Right. And now that he's in the med system, I mean he's getting all the facilities he needs, all the the training, every the coaching, everything he needs. Like the the kid will be good. More final words. Mm -hmm. All right. So you mentioned it, but just like Price from the last episode, you and I were also teammates at Dripping Springs High School. Uh, what what were some of your favorite memories from our high school years? Uh, that's a pretty easy one for me. I think my favorite memory is senior year third round playoff game versus Richmond Foster. Uh, I think we were down one or two and I was up to bat and I made contact with the ball and I knew it instantly that it was going out. So I turned and pointed at the dugout and it was just, it was an electric type of electric type of feel that you can't recreate unless you've done it before. Like that, that feeling is one of one of many that I can only like maybe compare to getting a hole in one on a golf 
on a on a part three you know like it's that that was definitely my best memory from from dripping springs i mean we had a good team and we i i'm sure you could say the same we should have gone farther but i mean i would not trade that team those guys that's those two seasons together for for anything oh no yeah like that was by far the most fun I've ever had playing ball. Um, oh, yeah. I, I remember that moment. That that shit was electric, to say the least. Um, now, what now what everyone out there doesn't know is that we we actually lost that game. That was the last last game we ever played in a Dripping Springs Tiger uniforms. I remember ending the game with a JD, Justin Dunlap, who, who's now at Rice. Um, he was at the plate, and I was on deck. And I was just sitting there like, man, like, I'm about to either have to make something happen or I'm going to be the last out of this entire fucking team. And like, I didn't, I, I don't know how I could have handled being that. And at that point, you, at that point, you kind of knew that you were just going to go to school. Right. So you, you were definitely thinking this right. might be my last AB and I'm going to end it. My last AB of my career and I'm going to end it for my team. I'm sure that was, I'm sure that was a little bit stressful standing on the, on yeah. deck. And, well, I mean, I knew that, I was going to go play on that, that lone star team with y'all with Brett Beatty, a bunch of other guys that were going to play in college. So, I mean, I was trying to like salvage it a bit, but deep down I knew I was, I was just going to call it quits. Honestly. I mean, I just, I had, I had other things in mind and that's, that's how it is. I mean, everyone, yeah, that's how it works for some people. Yeah. And you know what? I don't, I don't regret it at all. I mean, believe me, I, I wish I could be in your shoes going out playing ball every day, you know, but at the same time, like, it just wasn't meant to be, you know. That's how it is. Right. Was. If 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 our listeners didn't know, your uh, your host definitely could have gone and played somewhere. So don't don't think he's yeah. too too far off don't from say baseball. That, man. <laughs> All right. So going off what we were just talking about playing ball in college, what was the recruiting process like for you in high school? So the recruiting process for me was pretty pretty simple. It wasn't, and I never got these crazy looks from different schools. I mean, as you know, I. I had a pretty bad snowboarding accident my uh, my sophomore year of high school, so I missed my entire sophomore season. Which I mean, in today's world, recruiting is starting is starting earlier and earlier for kids. So I w- I don't want to say that 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 year kind of affected me getting more looks. So after that, it was kind of just getting back healthy and getting somewhere. You know, getting getting an opportunity to go play somewhere not I wasn't going to be picky I knew that I knew that if anyone wanted me and they wanted me to come play I didn't want to go somewhere and sit behind someone for a couple years I wanted to go somewhere where I knew I was going to go in there and make an impact and so once Corpus Christi contacted me I think it was after a uh, a perfect game tournament in Atlanta the the big the big tournament in Atlanta and, you know, they said, come down for a visit. And when I got down there, it was it was pretty much a done deal. Just the atmosphere, the field being on an island, like, I don't know, just how I grew up as a child. And I didn't want to be some landlocked town somewhere with a bunch of people. Like, Dripping Springs was a, a very tight-knit group. We almost knew everyone in our graduating class. And that's kind of the vibes that I got from Corpus when I came down here. Like, it's going to be a smaller school. It's a mid-major school. And I mean, who doesn't want to come play ball right on the beach, oh, right yeah. on an island where you hit you hit a 450 foot bomb, it might land in the bay, like you know, like that's pretty. That, there's not many places you can go besides maybe the Giants, the Giants ballpark to hit one into the water, and uh, the Pittsburgh uh, PNC Park as well. Right, maybe. right. But who the fuck was play baseball in Pittsburgh though? I mean, <laughs> yeah. All right, so. You chose Corpus, uh, and sounds like you're you're liking it so much. I mean, pretty good situation for you. Uh, what are your What are your favorite and least favorite parts of living in Corpus? Uh, the my favorite's an easy one. I mean, it's just you're you have your free time, and it's get out of practice, and the team might roll over to the beach. Like it's it's nothing. Everything's just simple, you know. It's not. It's not these big, it's not a big college town. Everyone knows everyone you hang out with. You hang out with all the different teams. And I mean, yeah, I'd say the best part of, of Corpus is the island feel and being able to get out of practice and go to the beach and do that easily. But uh, the worst, the worst parts of Corpus, the worst, 
as a baseball program or as a place? Just in, in general. I mean, so you, you've been there. This is your third year at Corpus now. What what do you not like about being there? If, if anything, I mean, you could just not dislike anything about it. I mean, right. Um, I feel like the, uh, the only thing I don't like about it is the practices are set up where the only off days we have are Mondays. And so, you know, that kind of gets a little work in your time. Hey, when am I going to just go get to have some time to myself? Well, that's on a Monday. You know, what, what are people doing on a Monday? You know, you're not, you're not going to the beach on Saturday or Friday where, where everyone's out there, you know, Monday's your day for designated homework. And if that, if that day is not a good day out, hell, if it's rainy, you know, you're not doing, you're not doing nothing. So I'd say that's probably my least favorite thing here in Corpus is, you know, time is limited. And when we do get that one off day, a lot of the time you, we can't spend it how we want to. Right. And, you know, I'm not saying playing in college is any kind of vacation, but I mean, at the same time, you're out there just hitting balls, fucking around, being with the team, you know I mean? I feel like it's not, it's not always a job. I mean, I can't speak on that because I don't play in college. I don't, I don't know the grind, but I mean, personally, man, I mean, no matter how much work baseball ever was, I just love being out there. Right. And that, that's definitely it too. I think you hit it spot on. Like it is a grind, but I feel like, especially here at Corpus, you know, it's a good middle ground. It's not, it's not down to business. Like you would think at some schools that, for example, landlocked in the middle of Kansas or something, or landlocked in the middle of Illinois. Those are, that's all those dudes are doing, you know, that's all they're doing is going to practice, going to work out, going to do school back to practice. Like there's nothing to do in those, those towns. It's a little bit different living here on the beach, being able to go, go fishing, which got me in trouble, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. (laughs) Well, right. And that's just, I mean, that's kind of the predicament I was putting in lots of you know, high school players are put in where they they like to go play in college, but their options are D3 and, and buttfuck Iowa or... Yeah, no one ju- wants to do that. Yeah, or like some JUCO in Dallas, but kids really care about like the name that comes with playing. Like they, they want to go on Twitter and say, oh, I'm, I'm committing to Virginia or I'm committing to UT, like whatever. Like, and that, I feel like, you know, like kids just really just got to come to a point where they got to realize that there's a lot more to life than baseball and in all likelihood, you're not going to be playing ball after college, especially if you're looking at D3 offers, you know, like you gotta, you gotta make a decision at some point. And that's where, I mean, a Corpus really offers a lot to its student athletes. I feel like, so, I mean, right. Nice, nice little town on the beach giving, you know, Texas beach, ain't no uh, California beach but beach is a beach you know hey that is a beach is beach it's got sand and it's got water yeah yeah couldn't put it better myself (laughs) so um I for y'all's baseball program y'all are sponsored by Adidas right yes what what kind of gear do y'all get compared so do you know like if y'all get more or less gear than certain programs based on like prestige or how does it work exactly so all of our apparel is Adidas, so our shirts, our pants, our hats, jerseys, all that, our elbow guards, batting gloves, to the stuff to that extent is all Adidas. We do get Rawlings gloves and Rawlings bats, so every year we get to design a Rawlings glove, a custom glove, and we get to pick one of their bats. So, I mean, I would say the definitely the apparel side at my school is not as much as other schools like we like it's a, it's always a running joke in the locker room like hey this year we're going to get uh we're going to get a, a workout shirt with uh our actual logo on it like we've gotten <laughs> we've gotten blank blue adidas shirts for the past three years like that's just how it is like yeah. if we want if we want something that says islanders baseball on it we're buying it we're fundraising it we're like it's that's that's what the difference is between the I'd say the more prestigious schools, like you said, is like those dudes get a new pair of shoes every week. They got, they get a new backpack with five shirts in it for this road series. You know, like we kind of, our coach always talks about blue collar, which it it gets old, it gets old hearing it, but I'd say that's, that's pretty much a definition of, of A&M Corpus Christi baseball is, you know, you're going to work for your stuff and you're not, you might not be the flashiest, flashiest guy having the coolest shit, but we're going to go out there and 
and play ball in our blank blue t-shirt you know (laughs) (laughs) right right i mean it doesn't it doesn't matter uh what's what's on that shirt it matters the guy in the shirt right so right exactly it matters what that it matters what that bat and what that glove is doing right so you mentioned y'all get uh rawlings gloves and bats to do this apparel i mean i never personally growing up uh used rawlings gloves or bats i mean do you wish that y'all had other options of equipment or are you you pretty content with what y'all get so on the on the bat side of it, I would I would like to swing something different. I've never really been a Rawlings fan, but then again, like you just said, it's the player. It's the player, not the equipment. Right. So Rawlings did. I don't know if you saw Rawlings uh, bought Easton. Really. So so next year we will get to get to pick to swing between Rawlings and Easton bats. Okay. And then on the glove side, I mean, I've always I've loved. Rawlings they have so many options like the custom the custom gloves you can design are just crazy it's start from scratch any color you want but that's the one thing that is different for me in my position is I've never used Rawlings catcher's mitts they just haven't I don't like them they haven't been my favorite I think I think I used them one for one fall my freshman year in the fall we got a glove and I used it for one fall and that thing would get so damn heavy, I couldn't keep it on my hand because of the sweat. So I've been I've been an all star guy for 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 catching gloves at least. Like I think they make it's they're the best of the best when it comes to the catching glove. I mean, you could talk to infielders and outfielders, and I bet they'll tell you the exact opposite. But I'd say, I'd say fuck you. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. Like all star, you people think of all star, and you think of. Oh, uh, that that kid's a that kid's a scrub. He's wearing all star, you know. But yeah. that uh, that's the glove. The gloves is what is what they do right. And I I will never go back. That's what I'm gonna use until I'm until I'm done with uh done with baseball. Well, I mean Rawlings is the company that has their logo on the uh, gold glove award. So maybe you could uh, channel a bit of that bit of that energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We do we do also use uh. Rawlings catcher's gear and I, I love their catcher's gear yeah. so it's, yeah. it's cool so as a catcher um how much how much control do you have over the game like do you get to call pitches like how much how much control do you have so it's been it's been pretty cool here at this school I mean in high school I got to I was granted with the with the opportunity to call every pitch for all all my years on varsity and I feel like that set me up coming into college for being able to feel the game, being able to read, read what that guy's doing in the box, what he's trying to do the box in a pitch sequence that can get him out. And so me and my pitching coach here in Corpus, his name is Marty Smith. He really trusts me with, with what he thinks that we're on a very similar uh, what's the word we're on a very similar brain brain wave like we think the same we think the same sequences when it comes to pitching so this season he's been letting me go a lot which is which is a little bit pressure on my shoulders you know like I'm getting the I'm getting the job of the, that the pitching coach is supposed to be doing you know I'm doing his job but you know I would not I would not complain at all I love like I love it it raised I think it raises my game because I have to be so inclined to what's going on, what the guy on the mound is doing for us, what's working for him, and what the guy in the box is trying to do. Like, I just think it's it's gonna it's gonna benefit me a year from now as long as I as long as I keep playing. Like, that's something that not many catchers at the D1 level get to do. You know, like you see you see in the SEC, like every catcher out there has the little headphone earpiece like that they're everyone's moving to the the microphone and the catcher's masks where the coaches are just in the dugout telling signs into their earpiece like I get out there and get to do my own thing and call my own game and I really I really enjoy it I really really enjoy it well yeah I I remember back in high school I mean like you said you always have that opportunity to do it on varsity and I mean I can't remember any times particularly where you might have fucked up and called the wrong pitch, but I mean, just like having you back there, like being a bona fide leader on the team. I mean, that was like a really important presence to have. I mean, even if like I'll use Arkansas for an example, I mean, our, our catcher Casey Opitz, he was 
preseason first team all SEC. I mean, he has one of those earpieces you were talking about, but I also know for a fact that he calls all of his own pitches and, you know, he's not the best hitter out there, but just having that rock, that veteran leader back there behind the plate really does huge things for your team as a whole. Right. Yeah. Catcher, catchers can change games. And like you said, like, you know, I, I definitely feel like I call a wrong pitch. Sometimes someone smashes a double in the gap. Like, fuck, yeah, that's on me. Like, you know, that one, that one's on me. Put that one on my shoulders, pitcher. Like, I should have called a better pitch there. Like, I feel like that's not a that's not a privilege that most catchers get at this level. Like, it's uh, it's putting more on my shoulders, and, I mean, I, I love it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything. So, like, between you and the pitchers, how often do you find them – shaking you off or do y'all have that relationship where they they trust you to call the right pitch every time so there's one guy our uh, our saturday starter john gaddis lefty he uh he likes shaking me off a little bit he doesn't like throwing any off speed early like he's gonna go get you with the fastball until you prove that you can hit it and so that's the only guy that i've had where he he'll shake me more than our other pitchers but like our, our Friday night dude, he shakes me off. I'll put down the same pitch, and he'll throw it and go execute it and be like, yeah, you just K'd that dude. That's why you listen to what I call. Right. You know? you like, know, I feel like pitchers kind of have a uh, reputation for being the biggest idiots on the team, just being yeah. like stupid people in general. I mean, I feel like that's kind of – that's why it's important to have the, the catcher back there. Like you said, you, you call fastball, he shakes you. You say, no, fuck you. You're throing a fastball. And then he exactly. does it and it works. It's like, right, like, this is why you listen to me, bitch. Like, exactly. <laughs> no, for example, of that just from this season, like, I, I just remember it because this dude is arguably the hottest hitter in baseball right now. We played Texas Tech earlier in the year at Minute Maid, and Jace Jung was up to bat. Dude's going to be, dude's going to be a big leaguer. That, like, I swear he hits two home runs a weekend almost. And, I put down a curveball and he shook three, two count. I put down a curveball and he shook me off. And I, I slammed, I slammed it back down. Like, no, you throw this fucking pitch right here. And he ripped off a curveball and froze the dude. And I'm like, that's what, that's why you listen to me. That's why I'm calling. That's why I'm so, calling him and not you. Yeah. So from that, from that minute made series, y'all are playing in the, the Shriners classic, which is always a good, uh, tournament to watch every year I mean I, I went last year when the Hogs were playing it was it was a good experience um and I, I remember watching you you hit your uh lone bomb of the year at that Minute Maid how how did that rank up there in comparison to that one bomb from high school like top top three baseball moments ever right there dude probably the top I mean come on that's that's shit we used to dream about as kids playing playing first off playing at a big league stadium just playing at one first off and then hitting a home run at one like that's just the cherry on top you know I I wish going back now I wish I would have kind of jogging around the bases I wish I would have looked around and kind of taken it in more like it happened so fucking fast it's like well all right that shit's over but that's definitely that's a dream come true bro like that is the stuff as a kid you used to talk about with your buddies like right it was it was electric and get, just being a part of that tournament too. Like, and then Corpus Christi is a mid-major school. We've never, we've never been invited to something like that. And so for us to get to go there and compete and compete on a Sunday and almost take one from the top five team in the nation, you know, like we were, we were five to five ball game with them in the eighth inning and, and they kind of blew it open, but you know, we, we were competing with anybody that weekend and it was, it was, something awesome to be a part of like I I can't I can't put into words how how special that was for for our program and and for me like I got to I got to start all three games there it was it was electric I can only imagine man and I remember from that that one game where you hit yours y'all were playing rice and two of our buddies uh, we mentioned one of them earlier Justin Dunlap and another guy Johnny Hoyle are both on that team and that same game JD went yard and probably had about five or six RBI that game too. Like it was just, I mean, for me on the outside, it was just so awesome to see my boys from high school, you know, playing in Minute Maid, lighting it up. Like that was, that was so awesome. To watch. Oh yeah. The Dripping Springs takeover was what, was what right. that game was. Right. <laughs> All right. So switching gears a bit, 
Um, how much do you know about your coach's evaluative methods when he's looking at players? Like, is he more going to lean to like traditional stats like ERA, batting average hits, or do y'all utilize sabermetrics like stats like OPS plus, uh, weighted runs created, uh, batting average on balls in play? What, what do you know about that? So on the recruiting, I would say the sabermetrics part is more for the guys that we have right now at the school. Like they look at a lot of that stuff to create lineups, see who's see who should be in the lineup that isn't in the lineup. Like like you said, the runs created thing is a big is a big deal for kids off the bench that hell his batting average is only showing a 160, but he's got 17 runs created because he hits balls hard, you know. So I feel like the more the more analytical terms are more used for our 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 team as a whole right now, but on the recruiting side of it, I mean, we've had I got recruited by a guy who's no longer at this at this school, but I mean it's pretty similar in the the aspect of they're trying to go get ball players, you know, they're trying to go get grinders, JUCO grinders that have had the experience and are ready to step in and play at, at our school, you know, like there's always a few freshmen each year that are going to be your projectable players, you know, but I've seen lately that they're just going out looking for the biggest, fastest, strongest kid. That was the, the recruiting class that came in last year. That was what it was. It was two-way football player from Juco. It was two-way football player from a D2, you know, like, I feel like it's kind of it's kind of moving that way for for our school at least unless like you look at uh the starters right now in our lineup like our our two hottest hitters are Itchy Burtz and Luke Marbach and they're 5758 170 pounds and they're both hitting over 350 but those dudes are fifth year seniors that got a year back because of covid and then you look at the team, you look at the whole whole squad, and those are almost the two smallest dudes on the team. Like, I just feel like that's what it's moving to, is going to get the biggest, fastest, strongest guy, and then you you refine his baseball tools. So that's just a little, little bit of the background of kind of what, what at least my school is what I feel like they're, they're, they've been looking for. Well, it's good. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know much about how they utilize – stats in college I mean mid-major specifically because I know Arkansas does but they also have a whole lot more resources than Corpus has so I, yeah. I was just curious but I mean that's good to hear personally I mean I'm a huge stats nerd um, I think everyone should use that stuff they have it at their disposal and I mean in my opinion it can only benefit I mean there are some traditionalists who fucking hate the baseball nerds they're like what do you know about baseball I'm like well I can look at all these things and generate a lot more data and a lot more knowledgeable decisions than, than you ever could just by looking at a guy. Right. So, at the same time, like you were saying, you can't, you can't judge a ball player based off his size. I mean, I remember, I guess it was the 2017 season given we now know that, that, that there were other factors that might've influenced this, but Jose Altuve, who's five, six won the MVP over Aaron judge, who was a six, seven behemoth. Like, you can't you can't judge a ball player based off the size, but no. at the same time, you could take an athlete like you were saying and refine them and and make them fit the profile better. You know, definitely. So, staying with the the stats, uh, so far this year, given you missed some time due to injury, um, you're at, you're sitting at at one homer, six RBI, and you have a three eighteen batting average with four hundred four OBP and a five. 100 slugging percent are you satisfied with how you played so far this year so I'm pretty satisfied I mean given given the injury kind of knocking me out we'll talk about it in a little bit suspension kind of knocking me out I mean I feel like there's a lot to build on from what from what what I have there and the only thing I would say I'm not satisfied with is the strikeouts like all me and my buddy have been talking about it. All the strikeouts are self-inflicted. You know, you got to, as a batter, you got to make that guy on the mound beat you. 
you know, you can't be beating yourself because when you start beating yourself, that's, that's when it's over. You got to press him in your zone and make him beat you. And out of those, out of those 11 strikeouts, like I think nine of them are self-inflicted on, Hey, I swung at a, I swung at a one, two pitch out of the zone, or I took my, I took my fastball that I, that I am supposed to hit on a one Oh count. Like that's, that's my thing that I feel like I can refine for the second half of the season, like, shit, I only have 44 at bats. And I feel like when I, once I, when I got hurt, I was seeing the ball like a beach ball. Like I was seeing spin, seeing the change up out of his hand. And so I'm satisfied with how I was seeing the ball. I think I can definitely build on, Hey, I need to be an everyday guy. That's going to go out there and get on base twice a game, you know, mm. As a, as a player at this school, I pride myself in my defensive catching and doing what I do back behind the plate on defense. And so I need to go out there and get on base twice a game and let, let the hitters knock me around, you know. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit. The hits are going to come. But it's being productive on the offensive side that is the biggest, is the biggest I guess, stepping, stepping stone for me to, to get me to that next level. Well, and like you mentioned, I feel like as a catcher, the majority focus their game on the defensive aspect, which I personally agree with. I mean, if you're you got to be a good defensive catcher to play regardless. And then if you can contribute above average offensively, that's that's only a plus. So, I mean, right. You know, you're complaining about your strikeouts. I mean, I see your stats. You're doing pretty damn good either way. You know, I mean, you can only pitch and bone so much. I mean, right. You're having, good, you're having a good year, man. I mean, I just hope that you can get back healthy soon and, and finish it out you know yes sir so as a team y'all are 13 and 22 right now and, and eighth in the southland conference what do you what do you think is going to happen the rest of the year with the islanders so you know that that record definitely does not show how good of a ball club we can be like out of those out of those 22 games going in so the past two weekends we we swept UCA and took three out of one from uh, from Nichols. And so we're kind of on a little bit of a hot streak. We went through a, a bad, we went through a real bad, bad down, down string of couple of weeks where we lost, I think, 12 in a row. You know, like that's, that's the only time in my life that it's been like, damn, like what can we do to get a W? And it was, it was, it was tough, bro. Like, you come back after a game, it's like, oh my God, that was ten in a row. Like, like it's a, it was a, it was a part of the season that we really had to persevere through, and you know we started winning some ball games, but before that, uh, Nickel State series, which we've gotten hot, we've taken, we've taken uh, eight out of the last nine games, but the seven games before that were all within one run, mm. so. That's like that turns your record from nine and twenty-two to sixteen and whatever, you know. Like it's it's one run ball games that that turn you from being damn near last in the Southland Conference to leading the Southland Conference and and going to going to compete against some big schools. Like this year our schedule was unlike unlike anything we've ever had to had to play through before. Like we went from from uh Texas Tech to Rice to Texas to A&M to a four-game series with UH like that was when UH was the almost the hottest team in baseball and they hit 12 home runs in a weekend versus us like it was it was a step up in competition for sure for those 12-15 games and then we kind of got into a lull of hey we're we're losing and we're losing and we're keeping on losing we need something to bring us out. We need some, we need someone to bring us out. And I think we're finally turned that corner. I mean, all the pitchers are confident in throwing the ball over the plate and letting the defense work. And all our hitters are, are starting to get their swing off and work ABs. Like what plagued us through, through the beginning of the season was we'd go out there, have a good inning at the plate, scratch one, scratch two runs, see 35 pitches in one inning, and then we come back the next inning and we go three up, three down. And the pitcher for the other team has an eight pitch inning, you know, like I couldn't tell you how many times we did that in the game. So it's all, 
it's all coming together and I think we're gonna we're gonna make a run in in the second half I think we're we're gonna take three games every weekend from who we play here on out and and go and compete in the the conference tournament for hopefully the first the first Southland Conference championship for uh, A&M Corpus I, I would love nothing more than to see that my guy I mean that would, that would be awesome so Let's talk after the season. Um, I assume you'll probably go play a summer bowl somewhere. Um, and I know a lot of people are aware that college guys go and play in these summer leagues, but they don't really know a whole lot about what goes on in them. So what, what would you say are the main differences between playing in summer ball in high school with your travel team versus playing in, in a league now in college? Okay. So select ball, in high school before college you know it's it's all pay to play you're traveling to a different town every weekend and you're you're playing with your buddies that you've probably been playing with on on a select team for the majority of your of your of your baseball career like you know you play in your high school but you have your your one select team that you were you were loyal to through throughout your your younger your younger years growing up learning the game playing the game and so the big thing with summer ball is you don't know where you're going until the coaches kind of put you somewhere or you can, you can express interest of where you'd like to go, kind of an area you'd like to be in. And it's, it's luck of the draw. You know, you might be put up in, in Wichita, Kansas, but you might be, you might be over in North Carolina playing for the, the Holly Springs Salamanders. Like, and that's another thing from, from playing with your buddies in high school on select team to you're just being added to a team from kids all over the country, all over the country from different schools. And so it's a big, it's a big step up in, Hey, I'm a, I'm a college baseball player and I'm going to do this by myself. I'm going to a different state to go play some ball with dudes. I have, I have no dudes I've never met before. And I'm going to go play 60 games in a summer. You know, I'm going to go play 60 games in 65 days. Like, it's just, it's crazy, man. Like, summer ball is a different, it's different than anything I've ever been a part of. And I feel like that's the main difference is you're going blind. You're going to the team blind to what, like, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know how the competition in your league, you don't know if you're going to have some jackasses on your team that you're going to have to fight hell my freshman year i had i had a kid that uh kid on the team got admitted to the psych ward halfway through the season came back and we had four we had four police officers at our game making sure he didn't go a wall again like <laughs> it was it was crazy bro like it was something you know i, I heard myths I had only heard myths of summer ball and then I got there my freshman year and it was, it was legit, man. It was, it was stuff of legend, you know? So, I mean, like you said, so you go in there blindly, you don't know who the fuck you're going to have on your team, but by the end of it, I'm sure y'all are all good buddies and you have great times. So what, what is your favorite memory from playing summer ball in college? So I, I always think this is kind of funny because every year we go to uh or we qualify to go to, you got to win your tournament, but there's a national baseball Congress. It's called the NBC world series in Wichita, Kansas. And so like, there's the, there's the coastal plains league on the East half of the U S there's the Cape Cod, of course. And then there's all those other leagues throughout the nation. And so the NBC kind of takes all those different leagues. They take the Kansas league, they take the central Texas league, they take the California league and like the winners of all those leagues come to the Kansas tournament in Wichita. And so that, that tournament is just electric dude. Like you're playing at Wichita state's field and you're in the middle of butt fuck nowhere in Kansas in Wichita crackheads everywhere, knocking on your window, walking up to a gas station and the guy's carrying a, a power saw and he's asking hey you want to buy this power saw it's like what the fuck am i going to use a power saw for crackhead <laughs> like it's just it's crazy i think the i think i always get a laugh out of our last year at uh our last year in wichita at the nbc we ate twin peaks for dinner 
every every single night for seven days in a row like you know that just gives you a little bit of background of of the type of guys you're hanging around and and you know the coaches too the coaches are cooler than ever like I I don't understand how you could be a summer ball coach and kind of be a dickhead you know those guys are out there having fun wanting you to play the best you can and basically having a good time while they're doing it so I, I got to know, did any of the fellas have any success at the, uh, at the Twin Peaks? So, so maybe some of the boys might have had some, some success. I don't know about on the team, but I can tell you right now that the coach definitely had some success at Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> Twin Peaks, man. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. So kind of playing off that um, – whether it be in college, high school, whatever, what's the stupidest thing you've ever done? And did you get caught doing it? So this one's kind of a tough subject for me because it's still pretty fresh. But uh, in the fall, last fall, around November, you know, COVID was a big deal this year. And school schools were trying to get their protocols down. And I'm sure every single school across the country had different rules of what their players are allowed to do, how they're supposed to act, and so on. But we had some – at the fall, it definitely was worse. It was more – you know, it was before the election. It was way more – tensions were higher. And so throughout the fall, we, we scrimmage every single weekend and practice throughout the week, and our off days are on Monday. And so throughout the year, groups of, groups of kids got put into quarantine – for a false positive or or someone tested positive and you were around them or too close to them in the weight room so you get put in quarantine you know and so quarantine is quote unquote from our from our staff lockdown you know do not leave your house unless you're supposed to leave do not leave unless you're going to get food or it's an emergency stay in your house seven days you know and I ended up breaking quarantine on day three, day four, somewhere around there. And I, my, dad, uh, my dad brought the boat down and I left my house and went out with my girlfriend and my roommate. And we went out on the water and we're fishing all day. And you know what got us? Social media, you know. Yeah. My buddy, my buddy posted one picture of us out on the water and it got back to the coaches, got back to the athletic director and they came down on us hard, bro. Like at first it was, Hey, y'all might be, y'all might be opted out for the season. You know, you might not get to play comes. This is November. We're talking October, November here. And they're talking about suspending me for February spring season. And it kind of got crazy. And they ended up pushing it down to 10 game suspension. And then when we got back here in January, it ended up being a five game suspension. So, I mean, I always joke, you know, I got a five game suspension for going fishing, but really it was a five game suspension for breaking COVID quarantine lockdown, which kind of nip, nipped me in the butt because it, it fucked me out of the first five games where, you know, those first five games, it, everyone's trying to figure out what they're doing. Pitchers are trying to figure out, hey, how how am I going to do this year? Is my stuff going to be good? You know, they're just trying to throw strikes. That's when, like, still the hottest hitter on our team started off that weekend. He went like three for four, three for four, and two for four, and the dude hasn't hit below 350 since, you know? Like, that's the type of start where I wasn't even able to be in the dugout. I had to sit in the outfield and watch my team play. Like, that shit got to me, you know? Like, I've never I've always been in the dugout. I've always been on the field and for them to just remove me from the entire situation like that that hit deep. Like I've never like shit, what am I now? I'm just a I'm just a regular old student here at AM Corpus Christi. Like what am I doing? And so that was definitely the worst decision and I got caught. I definitely got caught and the uh the report that got me is someone reported that me and my roommate were in Mexico <laughs> because we, he put like a, he put like a little location tag and it, all he put was Mexico. And so that's what got back to 
That's what got back to the athletic director is we were in fucking Mexico. Well, I mean, and if y'all don't know the geography of Texas, I mean, Mexico is not that far from Texas, but I mean, who who is this guy snitching on y'all the the, the coaches and stuff, man? I mean, who who knows, man? I mean, it had to be some someone on the team, someone who didn't like me or my roommate. Like, more background on that. My roommate is no longer at the school anymore. He is he is back in Ohio, got kicked off the team because we couldn't we couldn't get over the fact that that we just couldn't couldn't get over the fact that we're teammates and hey, you know, we might fuck up and do some shit wrong, but in the end of the day, the dude's probably gonna bat three hole for us and he's no longer here, you know. It was it was it was real tough and like I'm I was in a two bedroom house and so now I live by myself and it's me and my girlfriend and you know it was it was a it was something I never really had to deal with before it felt like felt like everyone was out to get me or everyone was against me for a little bit of the season and so that honestly caused caused me to hey when I get back I'm gonna fucking show out and I'm gonna show them that you know you should have never suspended me you just suspended your best player you know Right. And that's, that's a good mindset to have. And I feel like ultimately, like, you know, whether it be suspending a kid or making him run laps, whatever, like that's the mindset that the coaches have in mind for the guy to have when he comes back. I mean, that's like, that's the ultimate goal of suspending a guy is make him realize his mistakes and say, fuck you for doing that. Like, I'm, I'm going to go prove you wrong now. Right. Make him want it, make him yeah. want it even more. Right. All right. So, uh, so you're a sophomore by eligibility right now at Corpus. Um, what are your plans for the rest of college and your baseball career? Like, you're gonna try to go pro if possible, or what are you thinking? So, coming coming here right out of high school, that that was the thought. I mean, I was gonna come, play under a senior catcher for the year, kind of learn learn the ropes, see how everything's going, and then I was gonna be the guy. You know, I am the guy, and catching at a D1 school I'm going to catch 90% of the innings and if I can if I can do my thing you know if that's if that's what if that's what God has in store for me and that's what I want to do and that that works out I would love to play pro ball like I've had I've had some some coaches and and people contact me and tell me hey you know you're def- you're catching you're there you're there on the defensive catcher part of it you are a MLB you are a professional defensive catcher we just need you to produce a little bit more on the offensive side that's it and you know and that's another thing for me like I'm really gonna take it upon myself this summer to get bigger and pass that pass that quote-unquote eye test that people talk about like you know you can look across a field and look at people hey that guy has a big league body you know that that guy has big league tools just by how he carries himself. So I feel like that's going to be a big thing for me is, you know, coming back 190 pounds and looking like, Hey, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go play 162 games a year. You know, I'm ready. I'm ready to, I'm ready to go and grind my life away for two years and see if I can make it. So, I mean, that's the big thing for me. I, I can graduate in the fall and I have three years of eligibility left. Like if that's, if that's what's in store for me, then I'm going to do it. I mean, this, I can't imagine the day that I am not allowed to play this game anymore. So I'm going to keep playing it until someone tells me I'm not good enough. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, personally, like I sit here almost every day, like whether I'm laying in bed, I'm in class thinking about other shit. It's like, man, like I really wonder what would have happened if I just nutted up and, you know, gone and played somewhere i mean who who knows so i mean like that's the mindset to have i mean who fucking knows like if you if you don't try your best and you don't get it like you're gonna spend the rest of your life regretting that shit man i mean so you might as well go balls to the fucking wall and see what see what you can make happen right oh yeah yeah i i ain't i ain't quitting on this shit i'm i'm in it till i'm in it till i'm not you know yeah Yeah, that's, that's the mindset to have man so Speaking on pro ball, who do you emulate your game after? That's professional players, whether they're past, present. So that one's a pretty easy one for me. I mean, growing up, I had a, I had a great catching coach who 
caught for the Cardinals. His name's Rob Johnson. And he, he worked behind Yadier Molina for eight, nine years. And so that's kind of who I learned my craft from, kind of where, where I got started in the catching thing. So obviously, obviously Yadier Molina is the, the, the arguably the best catcher in the game in history. I mean, so I, I love watching him play, watching him do things on the defensive side and so I that's the receiving part of it that's the making making balls look like strikes that's who I emulate my game after but on the who I compare myself the most to is that JT Real Moto like that dude I feel like I mean we kind of got the same name first off but also we're, we're kind of the same build and have the same type of attributes where you're not putting a uh you're not putting a big old Gary Sanchez like body back there. You're putting a you're putting a shortstop third baseman like body back there. You know, you're you're putting an athlete back there that can go out there and backhand a ball that's behind that's behind a batter, you know. Like I'm sure you saw that one where he he picked the ball that bounced between the left the, that left-handed hitter's legs. Like that's why I emulate my my intensity behind the plate like I want to be diving around back there making crazy throws that that people that people don't don't expect catchers to make you know I mean on on the the JT comp I I love nothing more than to see kids swipe 25 bags next year while he's at it too you know what I mean? oh yeah that, that's the most impressive part of his game in my opinion is as a catcher he's easily an above average runner I mean like right I was looking at foot speed stats the other day, and if I'm not mistaken, he's like top 10% in the MLB for foot speed. Like that's just insane. Yeah. Same, same with on the hitting side, though. Like that's an also guy. I've been a leg kick guy since high school, and so him and him and Justin Turner are two guys I really try to watch and see. Hey, how are they moving so much? And everything's look everything's looking like it's moving, and there's a big old leg kick in there but they are still so good because they are, they are dedicated to their plan that they have. They know, they know what they can do. And so that's, I love watching Justin Turner hit dude. Cause it's so, it's so on, on, uh, realistic and like no one coach, no one is going to coach you to hit like that, but he, he gets it done, you know, and that's kind of a, that's kind of a, a guy that I always like watching. Hey, know where your hands are. It doesn't matter what's going on with the body. Know where those hands are and and go make something happen. Well, that's why I love ball players because I mean, you know, you could sit here comping guys all day, but at the end of the day, no two ball players are the same. Like everyone has something else, something different that, that works for them. You know, like you know, there's like a basic formula that gives you success in hitting, but at the same time no two swings are the same. That's what I, that's what I love about it, man. It's just like play your own game and good things will come. Oh yeah. So saying in the MLB, um, this is something that, that price and I talked about in the last podcast, he kind of changed my mind a little bit, but what are your thoughts on the discussions of putting in an electronic strike zone to the MLB? So that's, that's a real easy one for me. I mean, me as a defensive catcher that's my craft dude like that is my game and that's what I do back there I make I make friends with that umpire behind me and I'm talking about hey where'd you go to school how are your kids you know like I'm making it personal I'm making it personable with me and that guy so I know his zone like I know hey if he's gonna give me a ball off the plate that's where I'm gonna be all day and so I feel like if they implemented an, elect, an electronic strike zone, I mean, it takes out it takes out the defensive catcher part of the game. I think it takes out the finesse of putting a guy back there that can go out there and steal you pitches. Like my pitching coach talks all the time about how stealing strikes equates to every strike you steal that's a ball equates to like one fourth of an out. So think about that over, over the span of a game, you know, you steal eight strikes, that's two out. You're almost a whole inning of, Hey, I'm, and that's no, no one's going to see that dude. That's the thing that I love about it is no one's going to give the catcher credit. It's, it's always been like that, you know, like every once in a while they'll, they'll get some credit, but that guy's back there to impact the game in, in places that people don't understand unless they really understand baseball. 
And so if they implemented that electronic strike zone, you just have your, hey, you, you get your Wes Clark from South Carolina that you just go sit big boy back there behind the plate, make him catch the ball and hey, go out there and mash the baseball. That's, that would be all it is, you know, that it takes that, it takes that athlete from back. I don't want to say athlete, but it does take that athlete from back behind there. And you're just looking for your guy who can go out there and hit 350. And you're not as much worried about the guy behind the plate. So, I mean, on the flip side of that, though, I'm sure you find yourself at the plate getting pissed the fuck off when I'm calling some bullshit strike. I mean, it just, it upsets me. Cause I mean, I know like catchers like make it so that it's not, but in the rule book, it's stated that the strike zone is a very concrete thing, right? Like it's elbows to knees, the width of the plate and catchers are able to, you know, make it, the ball appear as, as though it's in there. But I mean, just, I wasn't a catcher ever. So, I mean, I can't relate to what you're saying, but I'm just saying like when I'm hitting and the ump calls a ball, that's, on the other batter's box line for strike three, like I'm, I'm going to lose my fucking shit, man. I mean, like, that's just, that's what I think it would be useful for. And, you know, the more I talk to people like you and price, I change my mind about it, but it's just the way I see it is a strikes a strike. Like it shouldn't be whatever the ump thinks it should be because of the count or he wants to go home because it's 11. Right. right. Like, you know, like, that's that's what upsets me about it but definitely I mean some are better than others but especially in my position you know like I'm able to hey I go up there and umpire rings me up on a on a ball outside I can go and be professional about it and say hey man you know like I think that was a ball off we we should get we better get that on our side on our half of the inning we need to get that pitch you can't just give it to them so like that's a thing and it can be a concrete thing but then again, what happens if you're talking Jose Altuve, Aaron Judge? You know that that gives the small that gives the smaller hitter so much more of an advantage, wouldn't you say? Well, I agree, but it's just the fact of the matter is it's still elbows to knees, no matter how big the guy is, because Aaron Judge can reach a lot farther than Jose Altuve can. So, right. therefore, so therefore, he'd have a larger strike zone, right? Right. And, I mean, I'll say for Aaron Judge specifically. I mean, I'm a Yankees fan, so I watch Aaron Judge all the time. And umps treat that guy like shit, man. It, it pisses me off. I mean, there's so many balls that are low that are at his like shins, but to the umpire, that's like a very normal strike because right, he's six seven, like you just it's hard to do. But I mean, I guess that's just a disadvantage of being six seven. That's why you don't see many guys that are six seven play in the league successfully. You know, mm-hmm. so it is what it is. I mean, I appreciate your thoughts. I mean, I really am starting to change my mind on this even if I write about it saying, I think there should be one. Um, yeah. I read, I read your article. I was a little fired up. I was ready to come <laughs> in this podcast. Well, good thing we're able to have you on so you can defend <laughs> yourself, huh? Oh yeah. All right. So here we are. We're at the last segment of the podcast. Now um, I'm going to ask you five rapid fire questions. And I just want you to say the first thing that comes to mind. All right. All right. First one. What is the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you on a baseball field? I mean, it's it happens a lot, or not a lot, but it happens more than more than you'd uh, you'd think. But you know, getting hit in the nuts back behind the plate—that's always a little bit embarrassing. Like you know, you gotta, hey, time out, everyone. I gotta I gotta deal with my nutsack for a second. You know, like I gotta go, I gotta go jump around on my heels. You know, like that's always uh, I I know I try to hide it, but that's always one that that gets me every time where I know people are looking, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, embarrassing or not, that's part of the game. So, right. Yeah. That's why it's why we have cups, right? Exactly. I mean, got to protect them somehow. <laughs> All right. Um, what's the best prank you've pulled on a teammate or has been pulled on you by a teammate? I mean, I'd say, I mean, messing with the freshmen is always fun, you know, All like, right that 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 comes every year and you got some freshman who's wide-eyed and doesn't know what the hell is going on and is afraid he's going to be late to everything so like I feel like that's a prank in itself you know like hiding the freshman's glove one day before practice and he's like walking out to the field flipping out like oh god you know like it's it's funny to see you know like that's how I was as a freshman bro like 
fuck, I'm going to show up to practice 30 minutes late because I'm afraid I'm going to be late. I'm, I'm going to show up to practice 30 minutes early because I'm afraid I'm going to be late. You know, like that's just how, how freshmen are. And I finally, being an upperclassman this year, you know, like I finally realized that those dudes are idiots, man. Like <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see me as a freshman again. Yeah. Like, you know, they're coming right out of high school and they're not the smartest of the bunch. They got to learn, they got to learn the ropes a little bit. So playing off that, next question, who's the biggest idiot you've ever played with in all of your years of baseball? Oh, biggest idiot. I mean, I got to go with my boy, you know. I got to go with my boy, Johnny Hoyle from Rice <laughs> Baseball. I mean, the dude's just a competitor, and it comes off as a little bit idiotic, you know. Like, we we wanted to win in everything we did, and if we didn't, it was all hell's breaking loose, you know. Like, we are showing – he's going he's gonna to show you – that he didn't like to lose, you know, that was, I just always thought it was a little much, it was a little overboard. And so, I mean, maybe idiotic's not the word, but it's definitely in there somewhere, you know, like that's, that's something that in baseball, you got to limit and control your emotions a little bit. And he, he let himself go. I mean, it was fiery. It, it honestly fired me up sometimes when he'd walk into the dugout and punch the shit out of the brick wall, you know, like, fuck yeah bro i'm about to go out there and hit a like you know i'm about to go mash this baseball now yeah i mean i just remember like you know being out at third base and and johnny would get pulled and he'd go in the dugout and he's just yelling fuck into his glove the entire way and then he's throwing, <laughs> throwing all this shit and just like being a complete fucktard in there and i was just like we'd be down by like 10 runs so i'd be trying so hard not to laugh but like that's just like i i i lived for that johnny johnny <laughs> pulled and then coming in and causing hundreds of dollars of damage to equipment and, and, and benches and stuff in the dugout. Oh, yeah. it's, it's always awesome to watch. There's always, there's always one guy like that on every team, you know, there's always your, there's always your guy that's going to blow up. Yeah. All right. Um, next question. What's the best walk-up song you've ever heard? Best walk-up song. I think I got to go with, I got to go with, you know, this one, this people might come back to get me on this one, but I got to go with Electric Feel, Pete. Oh, that's a great song. That's a great, it's, it's a different, it's a little bit different. Not many people think about it, but that gets, that gets the, the vibes going throughout the baseball field, you know, like it's not your, it's not your stereotypical rap song walking up to the plate, you know, it's a little bit different. I would also say number two, I'd have to go uh, Too Much by Drake is also a good one. So what, what's your walk-up song right now? So Corpus Christi baseball doesn't get to pick walk-up songs. No, so oh wow. I yeah right kind of create kind of new kind of different. Our head coaches that's what his philosophy is is hey you you shouldn't be worried about what the fuck is playing over the speakers you know you should be worried about going to get a hit in the box. I mean fair enough but at the same time like you're superstitious as fuck as a baseball player. I mean I know I was like I gotta have the exact same thing happening in like a chain of 10 events before I go step up to that plate every time. Right. And like hearing that walk-up song was one of those things. I mean, like if I didn't hear it, um, I, I just would be defeated already at the plate. I I don't (laughs) care who's pitching. I'd just be fucked. Like, I don't know, man. I mean, that's, that's an interesting philosophy. I can respect it. Fair enough. But, um, I mean, shit, if I, if I become the uh, Islanders coach anytime soon, I will, reverse that rule i will i will give a shout out to our guy up in the press box though the songs lately have been getting a lot better you know there's been some there's been some little uzi in there and there's been some drake songs in there but before you know you felt like you were in the 90s again listening to (laughs) listening to something that you've never heard before walking up to the plate it's like (laughs) you know that's a little bit different from coming from dripping springs high school where we got to pick our walk-up songs and everything we got was nike you know Right. All right. So last question of the podcast. Uh, this is the most important question you'll have to answer the whole day. Right. If you could have a Hall of Fame baseball career, but you're never allowed to speak to women ever again, would you do it? I don't think I would. I really don't, Pete. I met, uh, I met my girlfriend here in Corpus, and I, I don't think – 
I don't think I could trade that, you know, like that would be awesome, but I can have a much, I can have a long baseball career without a, being a hall of fame career, you know, that's fair enough. Yeah. It's about, it's about who, who you're doing it with rather than what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, Hey, you got your priorities straight. Uh, once again, good mindset to have kid. I mean, exactly. When I, when I was writing that down, I honestly, there's, that's a little nice little loophole you found there in the questions. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. Good shit. All right. Well, uh, really appreciate having you on the, the show today. Uh, it's great to catch up with you. The, some good stories. Uh, I really, really enjoyed talking with you today. Oh yeah, dude. I loved it. I, I can't wait to hear more and listen to the next couple episodes and see, see who you're going to have on here. Hey, uh, yeah. Stay tuned. If you want to find out, we got some, some good shit on the way. Hell yeah. Alrighty. Uh, see you later, fellas. All right. Sounds good. Later.